We selected our text today, 1 Timothy 3, 1-7, because at least twice annually we introduce to you, our church, uh, the elders and deacons who serve you. And so today is one of those Sundays. What we typically do is introduce to you our elders and deacons both in the spring and the fall. And typically in the spring we then bring a message about eldership and in the fall one on deaconship. And we do that because we want to make sure you're growing in your knowledge of church leadership. Well, like I said, today is one of those Sundays. So before we dive into this text, I want you to meet our elders and deacons. I'll begin. My name is Todd Stiles, and I have the privilege of serving as an elder. I'm Edgar Cabrera, and I'm currently serving as an elder. I'm Ed Gregory, and I have the privilege of serving as an elder here at First Family. Hi, my name is Dale Height, and I'm an elder. I'm Scott Helms, and I serve as an elder. Hi, I'm Travis Walker, and I have the privilege of serving as an elder. Hey, First Family, Chris Eller, and I have had the pleasure of serving you as an elder for the last 10 years. And with my transition to the Baptist Convention of Iowa last year, and the fact that I am a new grandpa and an empty nester, I thought it would be a good time to take a break and step away from the elder team for a while. I wanna thank you as a church family for your support and for your encouragement, and most of all, for your trust over the last 10 years. And it has been truly a privilege to pastor you here at First Family. And I also wanna thank my uh, fellow elders, both past and present, who are really more than elders. They have really become good friends. So I look forward to seeing you again in person when we can finally get past this shutdown. And for right now, here's our deacons. I am Brant Carr and I'm a deacon. Hi, my name is Josh Miltenberger and I serve as a deacon. I'm RJ Parks and I'm a deacon. I'm Ben Roby and I'm a deacon here. Hi, I'm John Schmidt, I'm a deacon. I'm Tom Urban and I serve as a deacon. So with those men in mind, specifically our elders, I wanna walk you through an understanding of a Curiously simple word in verse two, and yet one that is powerfully strong. It's the word be in 1 Timothy 3, 2. You look there with me in your Bibles. And in fact, would you circle it? And we're gonna aim for this this morning that by unpacking this singular word and what's around it, the beauty of it will just explode in front of our eyes, explode in our hearts. And we will, by the end of our time together, just glory in God because of his work in our elders and in our church because of our elders. We're gonna glory in God on their behalf and then we'll see how this really affects a larger scope of the church and we'll glory in God because of his work in all of us. So that's where we're headed. Let's see if we can get there, okay? Now about this word be in verse two, it's just a verb. Here's what it literally means. Let me just walk you through a few points about it. It just means to exist, to be present. It means it's happening in real time. You could use the word am, to kind of be a synonym for this word as well. It just means very present tense, this is what is. It's mentioned one time in verse two, but I do think it's implied three other times. And I believe the force of its use in verse two is what continues to have it be felt in verse four, verse six, and verse seven. You can see them in your Bibles there with me. You see where it says he must be managing his own household. He must not be a recent convert. He must be well thought of. So again, here's this idea that this must be the present tense reality in an elder. And so all of these traits and all of this behavior does hinge this, to this, this verb, this is what he must be. A couple more things about this verb. It's usually coupled with a noun, adjective, or, or a verb. And so this makes it an infinitive. 
And so that's not a hard concept to grasp. We have this in the English language when you have a verb connected to the word to, like he came to see or she came to run. And you call the to and the verb an infinitive. The same thing in Greek language, except we have it with the word be. When you have the word, the word be with either a noun, adjective, or verb, it becomes an infinitive, describing an, an action. We might say it's a verbal noun. would be a good way to put that because the action kind of leaves someone in a state in which we see something about them that actually is going on in real time in the current tense. And that's even emphasized by the fact that this verb is a present tense verb. So let me just make this very simple. What we have here with the, with the simple word be and what's attached to it is what we call a present infinitive, which equates to saying in this text, at least, this is what an elder must be in the present, okay? So essentially we have here a, a definition of an elder by description. It's not disregarding his past. It's not assuming his future. In fact, I would say those things are probably not necessarily in the scope of these verses. This verse is simply telling us what must be in the present moment in an elder's life. That's the powerful aspect of this singular present infinitive. Now, maybe you're asking, Todd, why should I be thankful for that? What's the big deal about this part of speech? I feel like I've been in a grammar lesson more than a theological sermon. Well, hang with me, okay? I think you'll find that there are many reasons that this singular two-letter verb, which is a present infinitive, should cause you to be thankful. In fact, let me give you four briefly because I wanna save the best one for last. But here's just at least four reasons to be thankful for this present infinitive. One is it shows that elders like you are people in process. This shows the present tense real-time uh, life of an elder where he is in the moment. So he's come from somewhere. He's still going somewhere. This just shows that we are like you in process. It also shows that elders are among you. So the people who are in this process, they're not from another planet. They're not shipped here. <laughs> they're not produced somewhere and then given to a church. They come from within that church. They're the people who are growing up in that church and, and matured and discipled within that congregation. So I said, I love that about this word. It's, it's this real time, present tense process going on among the men in the church. It also shows us that accountability to these traits occurs in real time observability. And this is far better than perhaps just banking on reputation, which is uh, what you hear about someone. In this case, we see that, that credibility that comes as an elder comes from being uh, observed in real time. And that's what we're held accountable to. In fact, when we come to you twice a year to be introduced, we come with this request, hold us accountable to these traits in real time. Are these things present in the men you know as elders? And then lastly, this shows me that eldering focuses on character formation first. This is so comforting because in this list, you really only have one or two items that deal with our conduct in regards to a skill such as managing your house or being able to teach. The rest of these are really character formation issues first that result and are displayed in behavior, but they really start with character. And so this is what elders are really seeking, God's character development that's displayed among the body. And it must be seen in real time, present tense, observable actions. And so, these are reasons that I'm thankful for the present infinitive. This is what's going on in this verse, but these reasons don't cut to the heart of the main reason 
that I'm thankful for this simple two-letter present infinitive. Here's the main reason I'm thankful for this simple part of speech tucked in 1 Timothy 3.2. Because it says to me that a man's past doesn't define him forever. Did you catch that? This simple present infinitive says to us that a man's past doesn't define him forever. Now, let me explain a couple of words I use there. I use the word man on purpose, at least for now, because we're talking about the immediate context in 1 Timothy 3, which is a passage towards elders. The first seven verses deal with men in the role and the office of eldership. And we believe at First Family, the Bible in this passage and others lays out that that's an office filled by qualified men. So I want to make sure that I just directly address what the text in focus is teaching. And this simple present infinitive, the idea that in the present tense, we're looking for men that, that look like this. It says to me that, that a man is not going to be defined by his past forever. That the elders are not defined by their past forever. And this is a garment. This is a cloak. This is a coat. Every elder, whether former or current, wears gladly, I can tell you. We are so thankful that we're not defined by our past forever. But I also use the word forever because I think this helps us understand that within the context of these verses, there, there are actual timed benchmarks. There are things we look to that, that can be observed. There are kind of expectations. In fact, I think one of the largest ones would be the one towards the end when it says that, he must not be a recent convert. So there's some time in there, right? Someone can't be a new believer and then just jump right into church leadership. But you see that in other traits as well, whether it's the husband of one wife, self-control, not being a drunkard. You can list all of these. There's a time element to them that says, you may have been this in the past, but if you're not this now, then consider eldership. Think about leading and shepherding the church in this way because he's asking about real time qualities and traits. And so though it may have been true in your past, if it's not true now and you see God bringing you and giving you victory and developing his character in you, that's a beautiful thing. And so for this reason, I wanna make a very clear statement to you. I think every man at First Family should at least potentially ask, would God want me to serve as an elder? Now, admittedly, that question then gets filtered through a number of things. Do you have a desire to lead in that way? Are you able to teach? And are these qualities evident? But watch this. Knowing that this present infinitive means that we're looking for things in real time, what that means is that if you weren't teaching in the past or if you used to be quarrelsome or if you used to love money or if you used to be a drunkard, if it's not true anymore, God could use you in this fashion. Man, that, that's a beautiful truth. Now, let me pause here and simply invite any man who may have interest in eldership. You think you have a desire in this way. You think you have uh, the character that's forming in this direction, perhaps skills that would lean this way. If you think, you know, Todd, I have interest in that. I haven't always been a man who has these kind of traits, but I'm seeing God grow me. I, I'm sensing his hand upon me. I have this desire. I want to invite you to a, to a meeting uh, over Zoom with me and some of our other elders, uh, just an information meeting about what eldership is like. It'll be on Thursday, May 7th 
at three o'clock. And if you'd like to attend, if you'll just email me at tstyles at fsclife.com, I'll send you an invitation. Now, I don't know where every man in this church is on this issue, but I want to say because of God's grace and because of his word, what I'm asking for is, is there a real time, present tense, currency in your life that speaks to this text, a desire, these traits? And if so, if your past is creeping up on you saying, hey, you could never be an elder because I want you to let this present infinitive bring joy to your heart because God, what God is measuring and what the church should measure is the present tense reality of these things in your life. It doesn't mean that we don't ask about the past, but here's what it does mean, that the past doesn't define you or disqualify you forever. In fact, I would say this, this present infinitive speaks in this text to what is not an eternal disqualifier, and that is our past. Isn't that beautiful news? I think it's glorious news and deserves a hundred hallelujahs. And I think every former and current elder would agree with that as well. So let me illustrate this for you in somewhat of a very personal way. And it's through the story of my brother-in-law. His name is Terry. Terry lives in Michigan. It's Julie's brother. He serves as an elder at his church. He's a godly man. But that wasn't always true for Terry. In fact, when I first met him over 30 years ago, he was involved in, in going through a number of, of difficult things, consequences, yes, from, from some of his own sin and then from the sin of others. It was difficult to watch and, and uh, our hearts were breaking for him. A part of that was a divorce from his wife. He had a couple of kids and there just was a lot of difficulty in those years. But God drew Terry back into fellowship um, and Terry began to grow he found a real place of repentance and humility. Um, he eventually married uh, another lady. They had a couple more kids. And God just continued this process of growing Terry, maturing him, teaching him. And, and if you were to meet Terry today, you'd find a very one-woman man, respectable, polite. Even if you looked back and said, wow, you came through a lot of tough stuff, you'd find that his... Uh, blamelessness and how he acted in those days and how he was faithful to his responsibilities, it's, it's remarkable. And what I love about Terry's story is this. Terry wasn't always 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, what elder is, but he became that by God's grace and power. And if you look at Terry now, in real time, present tense, you find a man completely qualified to serve as an elder. He teaches in his church often. Uh, he works in a factory there in the town but he's a man who loves to shepherd the church. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ and he takes his stand on the gospel. It's, it's a beautiful picture of this text that though he wasn't something in the past, he is now this in the present. And God's using him as an elder in his church. That's powerful. That's beautiful. It's remarkable. But maybe you're wondering, how is that possible? Well, here's how that's possible. Because that reason that makes us thankful, the reason that a man's past doesn't define him forever, that reason, it rests on something. It rests on a rock because that reason cannot exist alone. It can't stand there without a, a strong foundation. And the reason rests upon the gospel. That's the rock upon which this reason stands. It's kind of like the, the iceberg illustration, you know? 
what we see is just above the waterline, but what's below the waterline is the foundation of everything. So you see this reason that, man, my past does not define me anymore. And we rejoice in that. We glory in God because of that. But that rests on the work of the gospel. That's the rock underneath the reason. Yes, this truth that in Christ, God makes sinners holy. He makes the unrighteous righteous. Need proof? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yes, this is the gospel. The reality that in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, God washes you. He cleanses you. He forgives you. He makes you white as snow. That's Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they'll become like wool. Yes, this is the gospel. That God, through his son and through his spirit, he takes people and turns them into new creations. He brings in the new, he drives out the old. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the gospel. And this is exactly why we glory in God's work, specifically based on this text, in our elders. Because he has done this very thing. He has taken them from what they were to what they need to be and what they are. And this is only possible because of the gospel. But church, I got to tell you, this points to a larger principle. This is what God does for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes this a truth of their life, that your past doesn't define you forever either. And that is glorious news. You see, this is including elders for sure. Because it were it not for the gospel, there would be no elders. But let's just be starkly frank. If it weren't for the gospel, there would be no Christians. Look at Psalm 130, verse three with me. A staggering admission that should just cause us deep joy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The rhetorical answer is no one. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. This changes everything, church. The gospel, the rock of gospel truth changes it all. It means that though you were something, you don't have to be that forever or known as that or defined by that because God's grace and power to forgive your sin. That's what makes all things new. And thank God for the gospel. When I think about this truth, I almost become giddy. I mean, it, it sometimes even makes me, uh, in the right sense of the word, just intoxicated. I become just invigorated with the powerful truth that we're not defined by our past forever. Because have you ever thought about the church's first two leaders? I mean, the two men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write most of the New Testament. I'm talking about Peter and Paul. Have you ever thought about their lives? I mean, Peter, the former denier, 
who so strongly renounced Christ that he, that he swore upon a curse when he did it. Yes, this is the one that became the church's first teaching pastor. Only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel can take a persecuting murderer whose name was Saul. He would hunt Christians and try to capture them and try to kill them. Only the gospel can take that kind of person and transform him into the greatest missionary movement leader in the history of the world. The one person through whom uh, that God used to mobilize many to reach the known world for the sake of Christ. Peter and Paul, isn't that amazing? If you were to have their past lined up and, and spoken against them, you might find there's no way they could lead the church, but they knew what you and I know in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This isn't just something God's been doing in the past. This is something God's been doing in the past and is doing in the present. He's changing men and women. Specifically, he's changing men so that they can lead his church. I think about what the gospel's done in the life of a home builder who uh, landed in jail one weekend from an OWI. But while they're in jail, heard the gospel, accepted Christ, became a Christian. God grew him, changed him and transformed him. He was one of the ones that helped plant this church. Isn't that right, Brad? See, only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel can take a, a raw, rough iron worker in Des Moines who cared little for others, who had been divorced from his wife and save him and change him and give him a caring heart, a reconciling heart, go back, remarry his wife. And then God would teach him, train him and send him to Peru as a missionary to declare the glorious gospel. Isn't that right, Greg? You see, only the gospel can take a 22 year old foul mouthed Catholic getting his degrees at Mississippi State only God can take that kind of guy, save him, change him, transforming, and make him one of the most grace alone, faith alone, doctrinally sound, verbally encouraging men I know. Isn't that right, Edgar? You see, only the gospel can take a 19-year-old ISU freshman who's sitting with some other students and they're mocking, they're making fun of a flyer about Salt Company. But only a few weeks later, he would get an invitation personally to attend. He would go, and when he would hear the truth about sin and salvation from the Bible, and now that very person is teaching the Bible to people here in our church in different formats. Isn't that right, Scott? Only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel can take a, a man who's trying to squeeze God into his own political means, change him and transforming and teach him to where he says to God now, God, I'm available for your means only. Isn't that right, Dale? I think about three guys who, who entered the ministry at different points in time in different places in America. They were all young in the pastorate, probably no doubt unaware and probably entered more sometimes, yes, called, but probably like this is my career path and probably with a load of hypocrisy. And God moved them from hypocrisy to authenticity from just not a career path, but man, more to character formation. Aren't we thankful for that, Travis, Ed, and myself? You see, across the board with our elders and across the board in our church, men and women, they've been changed 
by the power of the gospel. This is why I'm thankful for the two-letter present infinitive, because it means not only for elders, our past doesn't define us forever, but it means for anyone who believes in Christ, your past does not mark you forever. You're not eternally marked by your sins. This is gloriously good news. This is why we should glory today in God on behalf, yes, of our elders and his work in their life. But we should glory in God on behalf of all those in our church who have known the life-changing message of the gospel. Would you this morning, church, right there where you're sitting, right there where you're standing, wherever you're listening, would you pause for a moment and would you rejoice with me? Would you glory in God for his work in the lives of not only our church leaders, but in the lives of our church members, that by the power of the gospel, he turns them into people whose past doesn't define them forever. Now, I would be remiss if at this point, I did not speak to anyone listening or watching who's wondering, Todd, is that actually true? Are you saying that I can have my sins washed away? That my past can be exactly that, my past? And ought to be known by that or pay for that or be chained to that forever? That's exactly what I'm saying. But I'm saying that's only possible one way. And that's through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're listening this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus as the only way to have your sins forgiven, your, your past washed, your, your life freed from sin, if you've been trusting your own works or maybe your own name, perhaps you've never, took your, uh, you've never taken your stand on the gospel, this morning it would be pastoral malpractice for me not to urge you to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd be wrong not to invite you. In fact, I'd, I'd be wrong not to just beg you in the right sense of the word to repent of your sin, of not believing. And today, would you believe in Jesus as the only way to have your sins forgiven? A prayer like that would sound something like this. Dear God, I do believe that you sent Jesus as the only savior of the world that he lived and died and was raised again as proof that he alone can forgive sins. And so this morning, I place my feet on the truth of the gospel. And I'm asking God, if you would, through Jesus to save me. And most assuredly, the miracle of salvation will occur in your life and God will save you through Jesus. He'll wash away your sin. He'll cleanse you. He'll forgive you. And you won't be chained or condemned by all the past that continues to creep up on you. Now, if you've done that this morning, if right where you are in your, in your living room, your kitchen, maybe even just driving, if you've cried that out to God, I want to ask you to do something very clear and simple and yet somewhat courageous. On the screen here is a number and a simple phrase. I'm going to ask that you text that phrase to that number along with your name. Just simply text this phrase to that number. Today, I have believed the gospel and I ask God to save me through Jesus. Real simple phrase. Just type that, text it, and then send to that number. And we as a church do all we can to help you know Jesus more fully, to follow him more devotedly. 
We'll do all we can to partner with you and walk with you as you leave behind your past, as you live in freedom from sin and follow Jesus. That's what a church is all about. It's people who are all sinners, but have been redeemed by Christ, now walking together in new life and following Jesus and celebrating, growing and serving. And if you've never been saved until today, but today you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as the only way, would you text me right now? Today, I believe the gospel and I ask God to save me through Jesus. To that number on the screen and we'll do all we can to help you grow in your faith. To all of those who have already trusted Christ, will you with me this morning glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? Can we rejoice in God's work among us, specifically in our leaders, like I said, but also in our congregation in general? Can we be thankful that we can shout because of this simple two-letter verbal noun, we can shout together, I'm not what I will be, but thankfully I'm not what I used to be. Yes, we are not defined by our past forever, all because of the cross and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.